You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk some, some, you know, some of what we're looking at with the Thessalonians, um, people that need to turn to God from idols, and that God did a great work in their midst, and, uh, and then what that, the impact of that was, we started learning about it. We're going to keep hearing the same themes over and over again, um, an emphasis on the word, there's going to be suffering, there's going to be an emphasis of holiness, looking to Jesus, uh, looking for the appearing of Jesus is repeated in all the chapters, so uh, there will be overlap between our, our teachings, and I'm going to try not to um, get too much into Neil's passage for tomorrow morning. I'm really excited to hear him teach on this, and then Zach uh, after him, uh, and then, of course, into chapter four, holiness, and then I can't wait for tomorrow night uh, to hear John teaching on the rapture. It's, I mean, it's, this is a great, what a conference. Uh, so good, great idea. And so uh, let's look at chapter two of First Thessalonians. And we're starting in verse 13, and I, I have as my assignment all the way to the end of the chapter. So um, where Sandy left off, um, he's, he's in, he reminds them of his conduct in their midst and then the work that, of God that God did in their midst. And so for this reason, that's verse 13, he's connecting what he's about to say to what he has just said. For this reason, we also thank God Without ceasing, because you received the word of God which you heard from us, or when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea, in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Judeans who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets. And they persecuted us, and they don't please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins and wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, Endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope, our joy, or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. And Lord, we thank you for the rescue that you effect by the sacrifice of your son, his resurrection from the dead and the power of the blood of Jesus to change people's lives and the power of the word of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, it's, it's our purpose in gathering to seek your face, to give you glory, to worship you, to quiet our hearts before you and to open up our hearts to your word, to be able to hear from your spirit. We pray you give us ears to hear what the spirit's saying to the churches, that our our the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that our hearts would be opened, and we'd be able to have 
an awareness of the things that are freely given to us by God, including what Paul's talking about uh, and emphasizing, especially in this letter, it's applicable to us in this moment that we're living in, and even tonight in this section of scripture, uh, the power of the word and, and then enduring suffering, and really just the, the joy and rejoicing of, of watching you work in people's lives. We pray that you'd encourage us and speak to us, and, and I, I pray really just for fresh revelation from you and an awareness uh, of what you're doing and what your plans are for each of our lives. We're all doing uh, the same thing and different things. And we're all very united and we're all incredibly diverse. And so we're trusting your Holy Spirit to speak that which unifies us and also to speak to each of us that which makes us all different from each other. Only you could do that, Lord. And we're trusting you to do that by your word and that we'd have fresh vision and, and be stirred up in our hearts to that what you're wanting to do. And that you'd use us with so many people who don't know you, Jesus. So many people. And Lord, how we want them to know you. And so we pray that you would encourage us and just break us out, Lord. If there's any way we're being held back. This book emphasizes holiness, Lord. And it's not really in our passage, but even whatever it would be, Lord, break us out of it that we could live uh, for you and be used by you in these last days. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. My passage begins with this great uh, promise, and uh, I realize that I'm preaching to the choir uh, about the reliance upon the word of God, but it's very important for us to remind ourselves continuously why we do what we do. Why do we teach the Bible? Paul is thankful for the work that God's done, and he's thankful primarily in verse 13. He said, because when they received the word that they heard, the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. And our primary ministry is to share with people what God says. Um, we're not really those who are, are called to traffic in what experts say or what the research is, or what the data shows, or whatever things people say in whatever moment of time that we're living in, or whatever the issues of the day are, we're the people that we declare the unchanging word of God. Uh, our church, I'm starting, I just started our fifth time through the Bible. I've been there almost 30 years, so uh, we're, we're cruising, you know, it's hard, like it's a lot of there's a lot to share, right? So fifth time through the Bible, and we're just going to keep doing that. Uh, Pastor Chuck gave us a great roadmap. Teach the Bible. <laughs> Don't teach from the Bible. Teach the Bible. Take your illustrations from the Bible. It's a great book of illustrations. You want to illustrate a truth? You want to illustrate an application that you have? The Bible's full of illustrations. In fact, they're anointed illustrations. Uh, share the word of God. Uh, movements that have happened in church history that begin in a revival. Uh, we know the pattern. We've heard the progression of starts with a man. There's a man that gets touched by God. And then there's the men, the group that are touched by the man or the men that together are touched. And then those men become a movement. They start to impact more. It's the man and the men. And now it's a movement. And what's the next one? It's a machine. And now you've got the procedures in place. Now you know, and now everything sort of starts to become formulated. And then there's always the step after the machine, the monument, right? I mean, 
It's just a study of church history and how many generations do these movements last. And if you want the movement to be continually renewed, if you want the work of God continually renewed in your life, what do you do? When you leave your first love, what did Jesus say you're supposed to do? He said, remember. That means you forgot something. <laughs> remember. And then what? Repent. It's a revelation too. You guys know it. We've taught it. Repent. And then what? Do what you did at the beginning. Go back. What did you do at the beginning? Man, when I got saved, I'm so thankful they gave me a Bible. He put a bookmark. Pastor, I was an atheist. I didn't know David killed Goliath. I remember reading the story of David and Goliath for the very first time. And I thought, oh, this kid's going to get killed. <laughs> I thought, man, he's bold, though. He's going to go up like at the Alamo. You know, it's like probably inspired people for generations after he got murdered by this giant. <laughs> but what a brave guy. Dude won. <laughs> it was awesome. I remember the book of Job. <laughs> You're laughing at me as I said it like that. That's the first time I read through that book. I told the kids in the youth group. I got saved when I was 17. I remember saying, I was reading in Job. And they were, ha, 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 ha. I'm like, J-O-B, how do you pronounce it? Job. Yeah, right, okay. <laughs> sure. The Italian book in the Bible, Malachi. They laughed when I said that too. <laughs> Pastor, gave, I got, he baptized me. I got filled with the Holy Spirit. I got born again. He gave me this paperback Bible and put a bookmark in the Gospel of John. He said, read this every day and ask God to speak to you. You know, that was really great advice. When I need to hit the reset button in my life, what do I go back to? The first minute I got saved, I became a new believer. They gave me a Bible and the guy told me, read it. And ask God to speak to you. Remember whence you've fallen. Repent. And do the first works. So for us, as, as, a, as a family of churches, uh, we celebrate our diversity. We're happy we don't have to be cookie cutters of each other. We're happy to, and it's wonderful. I love the conferences because you get to see all the different spiritual gifts. Um, you get to be around a table or talk to people and hear what God's doing in their ministry. It's, the diversity is so wonderful. The, the teachers are all so different personalities. Such diversity, but what's the same thing? Is what did God say? What does God say about that? What is God saying right now? Hey, what's God telling you? What's God speaking to you? What have you been reading in the Bible? Um, why? why? Why is this the thing for us? Well, practically and very pragmatically in verse 13, he said, I'm so thankful you guys when you heard the word from us, the word of God from us, that you recognize it wasn't the word of men, but you heard it and you knew it was the word of God and you received it. You, re you took it in and you said, that is the word of God. I'm going to let it be the word of God to me. And then look what he says at the very end of verse 13. He says, which works effectively in you who believe. Oh, the word of God is so effective in the believer's life. I've found that as a pastor, uh, the preemptive strikes, so to speak, of the Holy Spirit when you're sharing the word of God, you've made a commitment. I'm gonna just teach through this book of the Bible or like in our case, we're going Genesis to Revelation on our, through the Bible Sunday night. I'm such a genius, I just copied exactly what Chuck did. I'm not saying you should do that. But that was my home church. That's where I got, that's where I got, I learned the ministry and, and the Lord uh, sent us to uh, the city that we live in. And so when I became the pastor there, 
just with that guy, the pastor who started the church was already teaching, following that same pattern. I just followed the same pattern. Um, I'm not saying it's the right way. It is a way. But if you're, you're just saying, I'm going to teach the Bible. Let's say you're going some expository. You're going, we're going to go through this book of the Bible next or this one or however you decide to do it. That's up to you. But you're teaching the word. Isn't it amazing that when you make a commitment, you're going through the word and you're dealing with stuff that the church isn't going through. And guess what? The church ends up never going through it. Isn't that awesome? It's like a vaccine. Is that too soon? Too soon to make a joke? Is this too soon to make a joke about vaccines? Sorry. I got like a no self-control, so I'll make a joke about anything. <laughs> I'll be joking about the Bible study before I'm done with the Bible study. It's here's this thing. You know, I got saved in a different denomination from Calvary Chapel, and I went to a Bible college that was training me how to go into the ministry, and, and there was a model of ministry that you sort of identify things and then you deal with them. And, and it was just constantly dealing with, identifying, dealing with, identifying, what do you want to have, identifying, deal. It's just, uh, you know, it, it's just amazing. I remember when I started to go to Calvary Chapel, when I was working there and just watching Pastor Chuck, he just seemed so happy. He's not striving. He's not identifying and dealing with. I mean, you know, that things are happening in the church that they're having to deal with. Don't misunderstand. Making a commitment to teach the Bible doesn't mean you're not going to go through things. But it's amazing the effect of Bible teaching on a congregation. Systematic, regular, constant teaching of the Bible. The Bible works effectively in those who believe. That includes children. That includes junior high kids. Now, they don't, need the, they don't need some doctoral dissertation on, you know, the authorship of Deuteronomy. Or, you know, like, I'm just talking about taking the Bible and explaining it in a, in a way they can understand it. What does this text say, and how could it relate to a junior high kid? How does it relate to a fifth grader or, or a third grader? Now, granted, when they're in the toddler class, it's kind of hard, you know. They're, right? You try to share with them what they can understand at the level that they're at. Um, the word of God works effectively in those of us who believe. And we're constantly and will constantly be in a battle, a pitched battle with the devil over this. It started in the early church. There's always going to be something happening that's going to put pressure on the ministry and on the leaders to deviate from making that the emphasis and the most important thing. It happened in the early church at the very beginning when the apostles hadn't left Jerusalem and the church was in its dynamic infancy when thousands of people were being saved and all these miracles are happening. And remember Acts chapter 6? Turn there. You guys have it memorized, but go ahead and turn there. <laughs> Acts chapter 6. When the days came, the number of the disciples was multiplying. Churches were, the church was exploding in Jerusalem. There was a complaint that arose... A, against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. A helps ministry had begun to help widows. People saw people were in trouble. There wasn't a social net to help these ladies whose husbands had passed away. There was no way for them to, they didn't have families. They were struggling. They got, they got saved. They're part of the congregation. You can't have the congregation with these people who have nothing. So the people are like, how can we help these ladies? Well, let's donate money. They're bringing money to the church. The apostle like, what do we want? Help the widows. Well, okay. Well, it just grew. More people are getting saved. Now, remember the first day, the first church was 3,000 people. How many Sunday school teachers did they have? How quick was the training program? Next week, you're in. <laughs> How many kids are in my class? 
150. <laughs> we need a fourth grade teacher. How many could? 300. You know, like, oh, ah. Immediately, then there's 5,000. Uh, it was ex exploding, and now it's not being administrated very well. People are starting to complain. It's not happening in a good way. Like, it's, things are falling through the cracks. That should have never happened at the church where one person feels like they're not being treated equally to someone else because of a difference like Hellenism or Hebrewism, right? Have a different sort of a culture. They're being treated differently. That should never happen. So because there's a complaint arising, verse 2, that the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples and they said, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. The disciples rightly recognized the threat in the ministry. And I, my opinion over this, it doesn't say it in the text, it's a narrative, They'd been persecuted, they'd been threatened, and we're going to look at that in a second, earlier than this. But to me, this is the greatest threat that the church has faced so far. It's an internal dissension that's threatening to make the focus of the ministry something that shouldn't be the focus of the ministry. Can you imagine a church struggling with internal conflicts over things that aren't the most important thing that could threaten to get you off the most important thing? Can you, can you imagine living in a time like that? Whoa, they were really going through something, those poor guys. The apostles rightly recognized. They said, we shouldn't leave, verse 2, we shouldn't leave the word of God to serve tables. We've got to find another way to solve this problem. Because we can't, we're not called to solve this problem. We're not called to solve this problem. That's not the problem we're called to solve. People are not reconciled to God. They're lost and they're going to hell. People that have just gotten saved need to grow as believers. We can't do anything except put ourselves in the thing that God has made most important. Does that mean taking care of widows is not important? No, James tells us pure and undefiled religion is to visit orphans and widows in their distress and keep yourself unspotted from the world. I mean, it's right up there, but it's not the most important thing. And so... They said, therefore, you guys, and you guys know this, they said, you know, choose from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, and we'll appoint them over this business. Verse four, this is the great statement. We will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what happens? The church grows. Church comes out of that. You've got a good, organized response with godly people doing the ministry, and then the emphasis stayed the emphasis. It's beautiful. It's a wonderful. It's a great. It's included for a reason. It's the model for us. And the emphasis on giving ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. We're supposed to minister the word. And we're told in the Bible repeatedly that the Bible is effective. God says, isn't my word like a fire? Sometimes when you're ministering, and I'm so thankful for Stan Sandy telling us about the stone-faced lady, you know. And you're like, oh, yeah, she went to our church, too, for a while, you know. Uh, Sometimes you're sharing the word of God and you're like, I just want to see, the, I just want people to be on fire. God says, my word's a fire. If you want something to get on fire, what do you do? The pyros answered. Did you hear him? <laughs> Take note of where you heard that voice because that is a pyro. They are quick. They saw a picture in their head and they were immediately lighting the fire. Like, I know how to make fire. I probably lost them for the whole rest of the Bible study. They're like, fire, fire, fire. How do you make fire? You want something on fire, what do you do? 
You want to start your barbecue? How you want to start a campfire? You get fire to make fire. God says, isn't my word a fire? These people are, they're dead. They're cold. They're dead. Dude, the fire. My word's like a fire. God says, my word's like a hammer. His hearts are, this person's heart, it's the heart is hard. It's a hardness. There's a deadness. There's a hardness. My word's like a hammer. It's just, it just seems like it's not penetrating. It seems like there's, I mean, Malcolm started to, you know, he got into it. He got that first part, right? It's repeating through the the letter, the word of God. You receive the word, the Holy Spirit, the power. The word of God's alive and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces to the dividing of the soul and the spirit. Listen, people from Los Angeles, the Rams fans, they felt like something spiritual happened to them. They won a Super Bowl. They felt like, (gasps) (gasps) (laughs) was it spiritual? No, no. It's a football game. They won. Probably not ever going to win again. It's a long time, you know, who knows. What can pierce to the dividing of the soul and the spirit? How do you know your soul wasn't just what was touched? I want, listen, I'm not saying we don't. We love God with all of our heart and all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. It's all of us, but I need to grow spiritually. My soul could be touched, but does that mean it touched my spirit? You've got to give the word of God. It's the only thing that we know that when it's delivered, it goes all the way. And God said, my word will never come back void. It will always accomplish the purpose for which I sent it out. It never comes back empty. It always accomplishes the purpose that I sent it out for. I mean, the promise is for the word of God. This is a Calvary Chapel conference. We're notoriously, hopefully, we're notorious for being Bible teachers. We teach the Bible. You go to Calvary Chapel, you're, what do you expect? You go to Calvary Chapel, what do you expect? They're going to be teaching the Bible. Pastor's going to open, let's open our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. This is where we're going. We're going through these verses. Teaching the Bible. What are you doing next week? Well, I got to verse 19. We're going to verse 20. <laughs> Where'd you get your Bible education? Can you tell? You know, like, <laughs> I got to 19. I'm going to 20. <laughs> you explain the text. Do you teach the Bible? What's the text say? Not what I wish it said. Not like, this is a great place to launch out into what I really want to say. We just share the word of God. And God's promised his word to be so powerful. It works effectively in those who believe. One of my favorite passages about the word is in Ephesians 5. Paul's talking about marriage. And he says, husbands, right? Love your wives like Christ loved the church who gave himself for it. Well, let's look at it. Ephesians 5. You guys know it by heart, but we might as well look at it. Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Verse 26, that... He might sanctify, and listen to this carefully. He gave himself for the church so he could sanctify, verse 26, and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. If you're ministering to a group of people and you say, I need a new group of people. These people are too messed up. What will cleanse them? What will remove the things that get, need to get removed out of their lives? Jesus washes his bride with the washing of water by the word. 
So the ministries that we're part of, we have to wash the people. We have to make room for giving the people the word of God in its simplicity and in its fullness so that Jesus' ministry, he's like, great, thank you. I want to do this. This is what I will do if my people will just receive my word as the word of God and believe and trust and open their hearts to it. I will wash them. So uh, I remember hearing Don McClure teach on this many years ago at our Northern California conference. And he was, he was using the, the passage of David and his mighty men. And I was a little bit in this moment in my ministry. This is a long time ago, over 20 years ago. And I remember Don said, some of you are wishing you had a different congregation. And I was like, amen. <laughs> he was just like, he gave it to us good. I mean, he gave us a good Don McClure, you know, love uh, spanking. And uh, it was a good, encouraging word. And just encouraged us, you know, make this, you got the people, like love them and disciple them and give them the word and, and, and you're ministering to people, and sometimes we get discouraged, sometimes we lose our patience, sometimes we're frustrated, sometimes, you know, it's been many years. You could come up to me after the service and go, Rich, but you don't know where I live. Or you don't know how many years it's been. Or you don't know the disappointments. Or this person did this, and they came back, and they did this, and this person stabbed me in the back. It's very painful. Very, very painful. It's not easy. But the Word of God is what God uses. We give people the Word of God, and we just do it consistently and faithfully and patiently, because it works effective. It's how he cleanses his church with the washing of water by the word. And if we're still in Ephesians 5, look at the result. It works effectively. Look at the result of the word in this context. Verse 27, that he would present her, the church, to himself. Notice, a glorious church. I want our church to be glorious without spots or wrinkles or any such thing. I don't want our church with a bunch of wrinkles. You're standing before the Lord. Here's a wrinkly church I pastored. Look at all of its spots. Like, whoa, what happened to her? I don't know. I didn't ever wash her. <laughs> yeah, I could tell. She got wrinkly. No blemish. Look at it, the end, that she would be holy and without blemish. We're facing a crisis of immorality and struggle within the churches. The, you know, the, the access to pornography, the wickedness in the world. The, you know, the Bible says that in the last days of wickedness is going to abound. The love of many will grow cold. We're facing things that we're facing, but the word of God is still the answer. Jesus will present the church to himself. It's the blood of Christ that takes away our sin. It cleanses us from all sin. Jesus did that already. And this process of sanctification, I'm not going to steal because we got a bunch more about holiness very specifically later. But the word of God works effectively in those who believe. It's how Jesus does his work. So let's not ever lose that. Let's always hit the reset button when we need to. Remember, repent, and do the first works. Right? Go back to your first love. It's, it's the word. So back in our First Thessalonians passage, Paul's thankful for that. He's thankful that in this place, Thessalonica, the city in Greece, as he landed in Macedonia, was beaten in Philippi, made his way down to Thessalonica, and it was crazy in Thessalonica. He immediately got hammered. He was there. It said he reasoned for three, three Sabbath days. And then he was forced out of the town. I mean, we don't know, is there, is there a gap in there? It doesn't say that there is. And it looks like he's just there for a really short time and then kicked out of town. The word of God works effectively in those who believe. It's a power. You guys turn from God or from idols to God to serve the living God, to wait for his son. 
I mean, it's a crazy awesome work that God did. And verse 14. Verse 14. You, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans. And then he describes that persecution, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets. And they persecuted us. And they don't please God. And they're contrary to all men. And here's the real issue. And this is something he's going to talk about uh, in the next verses. Forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles so that they could be saved. There's an influence that Paul faced, that the Judeans faced, that the Thessalonians are facing, that he's facing. People are making it difficult to preach the gospel. Or they're forbidding you to preach the gospel. You can't preach the gospel to these people. You can't preach the gospel to these people. It's a closed door. We won't let you do it. They're persecuting. Uh, he, he said, they forbid us to speak to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. And they're filling up the measure of their sins. And wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. God, God's going to judge. Paul's describing the circumstances that have happened and saying, this happened to you guys, but it's not strange. It's not unique. This isn't the only time this has ever happened. This already happened to the believers before you in Judea. The thing that's happening to you, they already had it happen. It's interesting um, about suffering. Sometimes when we're suffering, we can feel like we're the only ones suffering. We're like, this is terrible suffering. Really? <laughs> I don't know. I know some guys that really suffered. I remember when I was growing up, um, my dad was an alcoholic and uh, my mom worked to support us. And so there were lots of times when my dad was out of work or missing or, you know, just not around. And uh, we lived on very little money. And I always thought I was really poor because compared to a lot of my friends, I was the poorest of, of my friends. There's a lot of times we'd have food for part of the week and no food for the rest of the week. Um, I remember being excited to eat a ketchup sandwich. If you've ever had a ketchup sandwich, you know that's, that in the right moment, that's a good thing. Got a little ketchup, got a Wonder Bread slice. It's a heel, but it's good. Praise the Lord. I wasn't a Christian, but I would have given glory to God in that moment. I remember I had a buddy in junior high school because I lived right next to this gang member neighborhood. Uh, I, lived, I grew up in North Orange County in Buena Park, and there was a Mexican gang neighborhood right next to my neighborhood. And we all became, you know, became really close friends with a bunch of guys that ended up becoming pretty serious uh, gang members. And I remember going to one of my, one of my buddy's houses seventh grade, dirt floor. Walked, he goes, hey, why don't you come over? We were, we were becoming friends. I went over to his house. He had like four brothers and sisters. He was the oldest. Uh, went to this little one room thing that was lived behind this uh, little store that was on the main street. It was like an empty lot and someone had built like a cinder block, four walls for this poor family. My buddy was the family. Dirt floor. I never thought I was poor again. <laughs> I had two pairs of pants. And like three shirts. That's pretty, I was like wealthy. We had a floor at our house. You know, it's the interesting thing about suffering. You know, when, you're, when you become really self-centered and myopic or you're like, I can't believe this is happening to us. Really? You know, I can introduce you to some Chinese believers. It's been hard, huh? I'm going to introduce you to some of my friends from, well, I'm not going to tell you the city. I don't want to get them in trouble. They're in really big trouble already. They've been threatened severely. Their lives are this close to being snuffed out. I don't think I've, we've started suffering yet. 
Right? Suffering is an interesting thing. I'm not telling you this is how you counsel people. This is just how, okay? This is how I'm counseling you from the pulpit. This is not a model. When someone comes in, they're hurting, you're like, well, you're going to see suffering. Get in the car. Our kid's, in the, our kid's in the hospital. Let's go over to the cancer ward. Let's find some cancer. And you're like, no, no, no. This isn't how we counsel people. Don't misunderstand. This is how we, who am I counseling right now? I'm counseling myself. Right? It's hard when you're suffering to get your eyes off yourself. And, and I think Paul is, he's not rebuking him. This is not a correction here. But it, it's wise what he's telling them. He's speaking wisdom to them. Because they've suffered. A legit suffering. And you know the phrase, the people that have turned the world upside down have come here also. You know where that phrase was said? Thessalonica. Acts chapter 16. The early, early church members was taken by force from the, go- the governing officials. Like the mob came and got him and drug him down. They, they, they made him pay some crazy fines and, you know, they like threatened him. You know, like, you guys are, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's only been three weeks, man. (laughs) They they had real suffering, but Paul puts it in the context. The thing, and the Bible does this. James says, don't think it. Some of you guys know that verse, right? You got it memorized. Don't think it what? Strange. Or it's Peter, right? Peter says it, not James. Someone says it. Someone knows where it is. You guys Google it. Someone, you know. You can fact check. Fact check me the whole time. It's like, you got this like, whatever, sure. That Greek word says that. No, it doesn't. We live in a wonderful day and age. The Bible teachers can't get away with nothing. I love it. Oh, the Greek word does. Oh, it's that tense, really. Actually, it's not. <laughs> Click of a button, baby. It's not a strange thing that a fiery trial is happening. It's not strange. Why do you think it's a strange thing that fire? Like, because I'm in a fiery trial. The songs that Gia chose tonight are perfect for the passage of Scripture. Did we sing about a fire and you're in a fire? Whoo, thank you, Gia. Perfect song. Who's with you in the fire? Yeah, who should you be looking at if you're in a fire? Should you not be looking at the fire, pyromaniac, if you're in the fire? (laughs) Look at Jesus in the fire. You became imitators, verse 14 of the churches of God, which are in Judea. The things that happened to you has already happened. They already suffered. You're suffering the same suffering. And what was the suffering? I want, I want you to look at it because it, it's, it's the, the book of Acts. Is, it's, it's sort of this picture of what's normal. It's normal Christianity. It's not abnormal. It's not exceptional Christianity. The book of Acts is normal Christianity. There's division confusion, challenges, discouragements, people not understanding what God's will is, and amazing things also, but challenges too. Look at Acts chapter 4. The Judeans are suffering persecution. Chapter 3 is the miracle of the man who gets healed. Chapter 4 is the result of Peter's preaching when people are looking at him for an explanation of the miracle. They're speaking to the people, chapter 4, and this, this is related to our passage, exactly what Paul says about forbidding to, forbidding to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. They're not letting us preach. So chapter 4, verse 1, 
They were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees came upon them. They were greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They laid hands on them and they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. It came to pass on the next day that the rulers, the elders, the scribes, as well as Annas, high priest Caiaphas, and these other guys, they brought their lawyer in, verse 7, and they set him in the midst and they said, what, by what power or by what name have you done this? Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, rulers of the people, elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he's been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by the builders. It's become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Whoa, that's a pretty straightforward message. If they're looking for grounds to accuse him of blasphemy, what name? Well, you want to know? Well, I'm going to make it really clear. <laughs> he makes it really clear. Jesus is the only way to be saved. He's crucified. He's risen from the dead. God gives life. You rejected him. You, you guys need to know he's the way to be saved. They saw, verse 13, the boldness of Peter and John. They perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. They marveled. They realized they'd been with Jesus. Seeing the man that had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. They commanded them to go outside of the council. They conferred among themselves. They said, what are we going to do to these men? Indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. We can't spin this. We can't, you know, use the, you know, the marketing or whatever, you know, the, the, our, our television station or whatever. You know, we can't get out of this. But, verse 17, so that it spreads no further among the people that severely threaten them, that from now on they speak to no man in this name. What are they telling them? You cannot preach the message of Jesus Christ anymore to people. You want to do humanitarian aid? Do it. You want to do this? You can do it. Do not preach Jesus to people anymore. Peter, or they called him in. They, verse 18, they called him in. They commanded them not to speak or at all or teach in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered in verse 19, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. We cannot but speak the things which we've seen and heard. They further threatened them, and they let them go, finding no way they could punish them. That will stop. They will find a way to punish them. They're going to kill Stephen. Saul is going to breathe out threatenings and murders and start to kill people and drag them and to the court. I mean, it's, that's, that's going to change. They're going to start killing them. Herod's going to behead James. Peter's going to get thrown in prison. He's going to be brought out after the festival to be killed. I mean, that's going to change. They threaten them. At this moment, they're not ready to start killing people, but they're going to get there quick. They don't beat them at this point, but the issue is you can't preach anymore in the name of Jesus. Can anybody tell a follower of Jesus that you cannot preach to anybody in the name of Jesus? You cannot preach the gospel to somebody. Can they tell you that? Sure. They can tell you that. Do you have to obey it? You can't obey it. It's more, it means more than anything. What if they're going to kill you? 
I'm going to sneak out of town in a basket. They're not going to kill me. They're going to kill me. They've got to catch me. You know, like. I've got to be careful what I say here. I didn't get saved until I was 17. And I, had a, I was wild before I was saved. I have no interest in letting any government know what I'm doing. I learned that. Like, I don't know what I'm <laughs> You know what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm not going to say it here what I'm doing. Are there places in the world they tell you you can't preach the gospel? Can you go to China and preach the gospel? You can. It's going to cause a lot of problems for the people that get saved. Probably not for you. They'll probably kick you out of the country. Every person that you go meet and connect with, and, and there, there's a camera everywhere in China. Everywhere. You stand on any corner and look up and see 20 cameras. They're everywhere. Every per, if, you go, if, I go to, if I go to China right now and visit my friends, it will not be good for them. Why? Because the government is against that. Are there other places you can't go? I mean, you could go. Iran, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Gaza, West Bank, Syria. Places you can go. Can you go? Should you go? Is it wise to go? Is God closing the door? Is it wise to go? Someone else closed the door? They forbid you to preach the gospel. What about... What about parts of cities that say we are anti-God? We don't want anything to do with it. Are they? We're not allowed to preach to people who are transitioning from being a male to a female. You can't preach to them. <laughs> really? You can't preach to them. I think I can. <laughs> do I want to give them my political message or my opinion about their choices or do I want to preach the gospel to them? Do I have opinions? I do. But what's the most important thing? So preaching the gospel, right? The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ that a sinner could be saved. When I got saved, I'm the last person that should have got saved. I'm a blasphemer against God. Zero interest in God should be lost forever. Someone preached the gospel to me. I'm glad they did. They were forbidding them to preach the gospel. Chapter 5. Verse 17, as they're preaching, so many people are getting saved. Chapter 5, verse 17, the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, the sect of the Sadducees, they were all filled with indignation. They laid hands on the apostles and they put them in the common prison. But at night, the angel of the Lord opened the prison doors. Don't you love that? Put them in prison and all of a sudden there's a jailbreak. Busted out of jail by God. That'd be awesome. I don't want to be in jail, but I wouldn't mind being busted out of jail. And look at what God told him to do. Verse 20. What got him in prison, by the way? What did God tell him to do in verse 20? Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Hey, they got, this got you in trouble. Go keep doing it. So when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught the people. And then the high priest got up in the morning to call these guys and then verse 22 is one of the funny, funniest verses in the book of Acts the officers came back 
They came back from the prison. They returned and reported, indeed, we found the prison shut securely, the guards standing outside, right by the doors. When we opened them, no one was inside. And verse 24, while they were wondering what the outcome would be, someone came and said, look, the men which you put in prison are standing in the temple preaching to the people. <laughs> this would be the point, maybe you want to start thinking about maybe being a believer. They got out of jail, let's put them back. What do they want to do to Lazarus after Jesus raised him from the dead? Kill him. He raised him, let's kill him. He raised him again. Kill him again. They bring him in, to bring him before the high priest. Look at verse 28. Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? Look, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and you intend to bring this man's blood on us. And Peter said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we're as witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God's given to those who obey, obey him. Verse 33, when they heard this, they were furious and they plotted to kill them. Gamaliel intervenes. He said, listen, you could be fighting against God. He gives them his, his message. Verse 40, the people agreed with him. And they call for the apostles and they beat them. Now they're going to beat them. Any grounds for the beating? No grounds. You're not doing what we told you to do. They beat them. They commanded them not to speak in the name of the Lord Jesus. You can't preach in the name of Jesus. You cannot preach the gospel here. We're going to beat you. And it accelerates after this, doesn't it? The attack comes internal in chapter 6. Get them off the word of God internally. Now put, put pressure on you externally put pressure on you internally, right? Satan is working to make what stop happening. Don't share the word of God. Don't preach the gospel. Don't let the emphasis of bringing the people in touch with God through his word be the emphasis. Anything else but not that. Paul says to these Thessalonians, they're going through something. He said, you brethren, verse 14, back in our, our passage you became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea, in Christ Jesus. You also suffered the same things from your countrymen. So what do you think is going to happen to us in America? Same thing. You can't preach the gospel. You can't preach the gospel to these people. Now, we have to be wise about this, and, and, and we're going to move into this next section because Paul... It, it's connected. It's gonna, it might not seem exactly like it's connected, but it's definitely connected to this thought. You guys suffered, you suffered just like they suffered. Your suffering's not strange, it's normal suffering. This is, this is how it is. The devil doesn't want the gospel preached, doesn't want the word of God taught. This is what he's gonna do. And so you suffered, but they already suffered. This is something that's always been happening, not a strange thing. Doesn't mean it's easy, but it's a perspective we have to have. Then he says, he's separated from them. Verse 17 he says, we brethren have been taken away from you for just a short time in presence, but not in heart. I wish I could be with you, but I can't be with you. But I'm there. My heart is with you. Is that possible as a Christian? Do you understand? Is that true? Well, my pumper better still be here. I don't want it to leave my rib cage. He's not talking about his, his device inside him that's pumping his blood. Is your heart somewhere else? My wife flew home today. My heart's somewhere else, for sure. My heart's with my wife. I got grandkids. I got kids, too. I got, my heart's all over the place. I got a lot of heart, apparently. It's everywhere. 
I got a great message, an uh, encouraging message. I always call, I always send a message to our friends in West Africa and beg for prayer at, before pastor's conferences. Pray for us. We're having our Florida conferences going right now. Calvary Chapel, Florida conference. Pray for us. And uh, I got this message back from my buddy. We're right now heading to Fumbisi. Don't make me cry. We're heading to Fumbisi from Sandema on a dusty, bumpy road. But excited to meet the guys tomorrow. My first trip to Africa in 1999, I stayed in Sandema and I rode on that dusty, bumpy road to Fumbisi. Oh my goodness. Our first students in our Bible school were from Fumbisi. Jim and I slept on a roof of a mud hut in Fumbisi and almost froze to death. They tried to tell us it gets cold in the middle of the night. And we're like, all right, whatever. It's like 8,000 degrees in the day. Guess what happens? The middle of the night gets cold. Jim almost died. I'm fat. Jim's, Jim's thin. He, I wouldn't let him snuggle with me. Stay over there. He had every piece of article of clothing he had on. I mean, I think socks on his hands. I don't know. He was, he was bundled up. I will share with everyone... And we'll be praying for, for I told Jim, Jim and I are teaching, at a, we're teaching together on Wednesday, I'm teaching tonight. He said, I, I'll be praying for you and Jim and the whole conference. I'm sure the Lord will bless it as always. We're also having a great time praying, teaching and exhorting, pray for us as well. And then we leave Thursday for Zabila, from there to Yendi, and we'll end up at Selaga. Selaga is the area where Jim's a chief. No lie. It's only happened once. This one village, they made Jim a chief, and they gave him a chiefly name. His name is Nana Wa. <laughs> and Wa means mighty warrior. He's a like, chief mighty warrior. He told me that. I was like, yeah, they, they can see. Game recognizes game. <laughs> My heart is there. Is your heart? Like, this is what Paul's, Paul's talking about Reality. Hey, we've been taken away from you guys, but our heart is there. Our heart is there. And, and I want to connect this before we finish. Verse 18, we wanted to come to you. Even I, Paul, time and again. We've been separated, but not because I wanted to be separated. I've tried to come back many times, several times. It's not too long after he was there. But what does he say in verse 18? But Satan hindered us. Wow, that's a crazy phrase, isn't it? Now, I don't know how to explain to you. I don't really know how to teach in a way to help. I mean, I have an answer for you, but I don't know that it's going to make you happy. It's per per currently not making me happy, I should say. I'm unhappy with my answer to me, which I'm going to share with you, and I hope it makes you unhappy. <laughs> Maybe one of you will, will tell you something else, and then we can all be happy. What, what is it, what's the difference between, because in, in Acts chapter 16, Paul tries to go to Asia, but it says the Holy Spirit forbids him. He tries to go to Bithynia, the Holy, they close the door, close the Holy Spirit, closes the door, but that, the Holy Spirit's not closing the door here. Well, what's the difference between the Holy Spirit closing the door and Satan hindering us? Was it, what, was it, does it look different? No, it's a clo it looks like a closed door. But what, sometimes when God's calling you to something, it looks like a closed door, right? Paul says, uh, you know, we've got a great and effective open door for ministry, but there are many adversaries. So just because there's adversaries doesn't mean it's a closed door. Satan hindered him. What he was wanting to do, he can't find a thing in the, the Lord's not closing this door. 
but it's closed. The devil's closed it. What do we do when the devil's hindering us? I mean, I know the answer to that question. But how do you discern in your life? Like, is this a closed door? Is this the Lord closing the door? Or has, is Satan hindering us? My answer to you is, I have no idea. <laughs> you got to pray. You got to keep praying. And uh, depending on your temperament, but buckle your chin strap and ram it a few more times, you know, with your head. Uh, you're, more, you're more like sober-minded and godly. You... Pray, wait, you know, you just got to keep seeking the Lord. I think, personally, the devil's closing the door to the Islamic world so that you can't just openly preach the gospel. I think that's a demonic closed door. Uh, I think the door that looks like it's a closed door to really preach the gospel and plant churches effectively in Gaza. I think that's the devil. Personally, that's my opinion of that. I'm not accepting... I don't want to say a bunch of things. Like, I want to, I got, before COVID happened, I went to six countries that you're not really supposed to go preach the gospel in, looking for an open door, and none of the doors opened. And in each one of those ventures of faith that I took, the Lord didn't tell me no, and he didn't tell me that he was closing the door. And so I have been talking with him about his lack of speaking to me about his thoughts. (laughs) And he has not been forthcoming. I don't know how else to say it. He hasn't, he hasn't told me that I'm in the flesh. He hasn't told me, he hasn't really told me to wait. It's just implied. The door's not open. What is your choice? You know, he didn't tell me no. Then it's that dreaded W word. Yeah, exactly. Someone said it. I didn't have the heart to say it. We wanted to come time and again, but Satan hindered us. In your ministry, you might be facing some difficulties, you got to pray your way through it. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit. We're a, we're a movement that came out of a work of the Holy Spirit, out of, the, out of a life of prayer, prayer in the ministry of the word. We're looking for what only God could do. We want to see God do new things in people's lives, rescue people. There are certain demons, that apparently, that don't come out except by prayer and fasting. What's that about? I, I, Jesus just said it. Uh, there's, a, there's a time when Daniel's fasting and praying for 21 days and an angel comes and said, I would have been here, but I was fighting. Couldn't get here. Since you started praying, I started to come and I was held back for 21 days. What's that about? I don't know. It says it. I know what's happening. Don't go write a whole book about stuff that's not in the Bible about it. I don't know. What do you do? Put on the whole armor of God. That's in the Bible. (laughs) We don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Put on the whole armor of God and pray. Right? We're we're in a spiritual battle for souls. And Paul's in it. And, you know, Satan was hindering us. I wanted to come, but Satan hindered us. And this last statement is of, of his joy. And this is all part of our heart. And we'll close with this. What's our hope? Our joy. Our crown of rejoicing. Isn't it you? In the presence of our Lord Jesus that is coming? Jesus is coming back. We're going to win. And guess who's all going to be together? All of us. You're our glory and joy. You know, if you take what Malcolm taught, 
And you take what Sandy taught, the first verse of my text, God's word works effectively in those who believe, you're going to have suffering. But man, it's worth it. Isn't it? It's worth it. Your heart's going to go out there and it's going to be everywhere now. (laughs) Your heart's there, your heart's there, your heart's over there, your heart's there. awesome. Lord, we pray for help. We pray you encourage us. We pray for fresh vision. We pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to be upon us. We recognize, Lord, that without you, we can do nothing. You told us that, Lord, we agree. Without you, we can do nothing, but we want to tell you on our side, we don't want to do anything without you. We're done with that. We just want to be the followers of Jesus. We want fresh vision. We want to know what you say. We want clarity on the areas where Satan's hindered us. We want victory in those areas. In your name, Jesus, break those thing, that power that Satan has in, over regions or countries, over people's lives, over streets in our city, over areas, communities, Lord. Break those strongholds and use us in these last days. Inspire us in this time that we're together, our fellowship times, our time in the word, our worship times, Fill us with power by the Holy Spirit and may we leave this place rejuvenated, renewed, and and ready to go conquer things that we never thought could be conquered. That the walls of Jericho will fall down and at your word, Lord, as we follow what you said, God, thank you that your word has been given to us. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the blood of Jesus Christ. We have everything we need, Lord. So refresh us, renew us, and, and, and... And give us that that fresh vision, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Rich Chafin. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Rich's teaching ministry by visiting cclc.org.